Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Word of Life Church. I am glad that you are here, particularly if you are new around here, if you are our guest, maybe this is your first time worshiping with us. I'm really glad that you chose this Sunday morning to be a part of our worship service. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new, I hope that you feel welcomed and that this service is meaningful for you. This morning, we are going to continue this series, Made Fearfully and Wonderfully. This is a series that is given to us by that ancient prayer in Psalm 139 from words like this, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who is fearfully and wonderfully made? That's you. That's us. Created in the image of God, made by God, and made for God. And in this series, we have been talking about our identity as those who recognize that we are made and created in the image of God. And so we, Sunday by Sunday, have been answering this question, who are you? And supplying the answer and equipping you with the answer that, so that you can say, I am loved, I am content. I am peaceful. Last week, Pastor Jacob was preaching and talked about how we are called so that we can say, I am called. And this morning, what I want to equip you to be able to say when faced with that question, who are you? This morning, I want you to be able to say, I am a worshiper. That'll be the title of the message today. And maybe you can say that with me. Maybe we can say that all together. I am a worshiper. Thank you for the 50% who participated. Let's push for higher than that. Say with me, I am a worshiper. Who are you? One of the ways you can answer that is by saying, I am a worshiper because... You can say that first and foremost because you are a human being and we have all been created to be worshipers. We've all been created with the capacity to look outside of ourselves towards something grand, something beautiful. God has made us all, all human beings, with this capacity to give attention to some version of the good life. We have this innate ability within us to give our our very selves, to give our heart and devotion over to something else. This is what worship is. This is what we were made for. Our hearts were made for worship just as our bodies were made to move. We were made for worship. I'm so excited that so many Word of Lifers have committed 
uh, to run with Team World Vision this Saturday, the Kansas City Half and Full Marathon. We have people who are walking and running, and as Pastor Jacob shared, uh, we've raised over $14,000 for Team World Vision. I'm so proud of all those who have committed to walk and to run. As many of you know, I'm, I'm a runner, and I'm going to be running this Saturday, and uh, it's, a, it's a particular passion for me, but I understand when we start talking about runners, you're thinking, Pastor Derek, why would I run? No one's chasing me, right? I know for a lot of you, you're like, ah, I, don't, I don't really want to run. Well, that's okay, but I always advocate that at least if you're not going to run, that you at least walk or you at least get out there and move, right? Because God didn't make our, and design our bodies just to sit around all the time. Sure, there is a time for rest, but God made our bodies to move and God made our hearts to worship. And so for the health of your body, let me encourage you, get out there and move, whatever that looks like for you. And for the health and the sake of your soul, I encourage you to gather with us Sunday by Sunday and worship, for this is what we were made for. Now, we worship the God revealed in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are Christians, so we have a particular form of worship. But again, all human beings worship in some sense. We are all going to find something or someone to fill that slot in our lives. We are going to give our heart and attention and devotion over to something or someone. And my question this morning is, what is that something and who is that someone? For me, when I was in middle school and early high school, I had completely given myself over to basketball. This is what I did. Growing up here in St. Joe, I would play wherever I could find a court of course, we had a basketball goal in my driveway, even in the winter. I would shovel off that driveway, gather some friends, we'd play basketball in the driveway. And in the winter, playing basketball here in the Midwest, is, it's always the same. You put on a hat and gloves and hoodie, and you're trying to dribble with gloves, and that never works. You take your gloves off, and you dribble, and you play, and you shoot until your hands are too cold. This was me when I was in middle school and early high school. I'd completely given myself over to basketball, and I had given my heart, my single devotion to one basketball player. This is in the late 1980s. Only one player had captured my heart and attention, and it wasn't Larry Bird or Magic Johnson, even though I enjoyed all those Celtic and Laker games. It wasn't the legendary Dr. J or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It wasn't even Isaiah Thomas or Charles Barkley. I had single devotion on one player, and it was the player who was named the greatest athlete of the 20th century by ESPN. I'm talking about number 23, Michael Jordan. I had completely given my heart over to Air Jordan and I want to show you just a little bit. Go, go ahead and check this out.
Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. There was something, Michael Jordan was able to do what other basketball players couldn't do. There was a beautiful fluidity to his game that had captured my attention as a teenager. When I stepped on the basketball court, in my mind, I was just like Michael Jordan. That was not the joke. That wasn't the punchline. I'm getting to it. It's true. I thought when I stepped on the court, I was Michael Jordan from the Bulls, but I actually looked a lot more like Michael Scott from the office because As a teenager, I was gangly and uncoordinated and obviously very white. But it didn't stop my my obsession with Michael Jordan. I turned my bedroom into a shrine for Michael Jordan. All four walls in my bedroom were covered with Jordan posters. I had the poster of him leaping from the free throw line, the slam dunk contest. I had the wings poster where Jordan's holding one ball in one hand and his hand, other hand out like this. I had the poster where he's palming Spike Lee, who was Mars. You remember they had those uh, Nike ads with Spike Lee and Michael Jordan. I had that poster. I covered my walls with Michael Jordan posters. And you could call my obsession with Jordan worship because that's really what it was. I had my heart and devotion and attention directed towards one person. And yes, that is a form of worship. James K.A. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, says we are all wired with certain desires that direct us towards some version of the good life, and we worship that which will get us to that point. We all have these innate desires. Jamie Smith says in his book, we live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for. This is a picture of worship. This version of the good life that we devote our heart and all of our desire and loves towards. And again, for me, at 13 years old, it was basketball and being like Michael Jordan. That, that is what my heart was bent towards. See, if we examine our heart and our loves and our desires, that will tell us what we really worship. Worship starts within our hearts. So if you want to know what you really worship, you look at your hearts and loves and desires and what am I bent towards? What am I living towards? What do I give ultimate worth and value towards? For me at age 13, it was Michael Jordan. But then when I was 15 years old, something happened. When I was 15, I was a sophomore in high school. My dad had gone through a real spiritual renewal, and we had not really been in the church. I was baptized when I was 12, but our whole family just really strayed from the church, and, and in my heart, I had strayed from any kind of connection to God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. But my dad had this resurgence of faith, and so he announced that we are all going to church on Sunday morning. And I was like, oh, man, because I already had a, I had a Sunday morning liturgy. It was Cheerios and MTV. That's what I did on Sunday morning. But in the 
winter of 1990, my dad announced we're going back to church. And so, of course, we go back to church. And so, and my dad was hardcore. And so it's not just church, but it was church and Sunday school. And so I went to the youth Sunday school and I, I met some of the, the kids who were in the youth group. And so I started hanging out with those kids. And in the spring of 1990, I attended a youth rally that our youth pastor was putting on at Missouri Western. And there on the gym floor in Missouri Western, 1990, in the spring, I heard the gospel. I heard that Jesus came as a representation of God and God's love, that Jesus came, that he died for our sins, that he rose from our salvation, and he is offering his life to us if we will turn in faith and give our life to Jesus. And when I heard it that night, of course, I had heard that, those words before, but there was something about that moment that God spoke to me, and I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what to do. Of course, the youth pastor had invited people to pray with him, and I wasn't down with that, but I, but I, but I went home, and, 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 and my, my mind was stirred. My heart was stirred, and I didn't know where to go, and so I found my, my dad's big black Bible I didn't know much about the Bible, but I, I literally, this only works once in a lifetime. I opened it up and I pointed to a verse. I know that that never happens, but it only happens once. It happened for me. And I found this one verse and I read Psalm 37, 5 that says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do it. I read that verse and I said, oh, I know what to do. I, I'm going to commit my life to God. See, for years I had heard Nike say, just do it. But now the psalmist was telling me that God was going to do it. So I prayed that night and I gave my life to Jesus. I went to bed and I woke up a totally different person on a different trajectory. And within a couple months, you know what I did with those Michael Jordan posters? We didn't have eBay back in the day, so I didn't carefully pull them down and sell them on eBay. Didn't have that back in the day. I ripped those posters down. I probably spent over $100. And again, I know, 1990, 15 years old, 100 bucks is a lot of money. I took all those, but I ripped those posters down. I was like Josiah of the Old Testament, like tearing down the altars of false idols. I tore all those Michael Jordan posters down, ripped them up and threw them away. Nobody told me to do that, but I pulled those down and I got big, a big tablet with this, these big sheets of paper and I started writing Bible verses and I slapped that up on my wall. Nobody told me to do that. Why did I do that? Because something had changed on the inside. My desires had changed. My love had changed. It was no longer Michael Jordan and basketball. It became Jesus. Jesus became the desire and the love of my heart. And the overflow of that was a change in my whole life. I became a worshiper and a follower of Jesus. So who am I? If you would have asked me in 1988, I would have said, I'm a baller, even though it wasn't a very good one. You ask me now, and I say, I am a worshiper. I worship the God revealed in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I'm a worshiper. And again, I'm saying that all human beings are worshipers because we're all made in the image of God. We're all made with this capacity to worship something. 
So again, to go a bit deeper, I want to ask not only who are you, but who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? What is your heart's desires bent towards? Let's turn our attention to the scriptures, John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I'll encourage you to find this. If you have a Bible app, you can open that up. Don't be playing games while I'm preaching. But if you've got a Bible app, you can open up and follow along there, or we'll put the words of the scriptures on the screen. You can follow on the screen. John chapter 4 is this interesting conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus, this Jewish man, and this unnamed Samaritan woman have this encounter on a hot afternoon at this well. And before I get to the scriptures, just so you understand a little bit of the background, this is a conversation between a Jew and a Samaritan. And in the day of Jesus, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. There had been a growing hostility and hatred and animosity between Jews and Samaritans for hundreds of years. And Samaritans didn't have anything to do with Jews, and Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. There was under the surface a hatred very similar to what we've seen in modern times, the kind of ethnic and racial hatred we've seen in our world. It existed between Jews and Samaritans. And so they have this encounter. Jesus is thirsty and he sees this woman. And so he asks her for a drink. Now, Jesus is already breaking some of the social norms because a, a man would not have spoken to a woman like that. A Jewish man would not have spoken to a Samaritan woman like that. And the Samaritan woman is showing up at the well in the heat of the day. In Jesus' day, in that first century Jewish world, uh, women would have come to the well early in the morning to draw water for the day. We can speculate that perhaps this woman was showing up because she was not well loved in her community. She could have been an extremely sinful woman or a woman of poor character. Or maybe she's just a woman that didn't want to be gossiped about. So she's showing up at the well at a time when no one else was supposed to be there. But Jesus shows up. And when he asks her for a drink, she doesn't shrink back. She claps back at him. And she's like, well, what are you, a Jewish man, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And so they begin to have this conversation about water, which then turns into a Jesus-centered conversation about the living water that Jesus was offering her. And we'll pick up the story in John 4, verse 19. And the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman quickly turns to worship. And a part of the contention between Samaritans and Jews were the exact place of worship. Where are you supposed to worship? The Samaritans would say you worship on Mount Gerizim. That's, that's the right place to worship the God of creation. Jews would say, no, you worship God on Mount Zion in Jerusalem at the temple. That's the proper place of worship. But Jesus does a few interesting things here in this conversation. First, he says, there is coming a time when you will worship the Father. Notice he says you're going to worship the Father, God the Father. He didn't say you're going to worship the Jewish God who is Father. Jesus is already breaking down that wall of hostility by acknowledging that the one true creator, God, the God of Israel, is the God of Jews and the God of Samaritans. But Jesus goes further to say that the hour is coming and it's really here among us. When something about worship is changing. And, and he wasn't giving her instructions like there's a better way for you to worship if you would worship like us Jews. Rather, he's saying that there's a change coming where worship is not dependent any longer on geography, but theology. In other words, Jesus, the hour was coming and it is nigh upon us. Jesus is saying, ultimately, he is going to die for our sins. He's going to go into death. He's going to be risen on the third day, meet with his disciples, ascend to the right hand of the Father, and that will change worship for the people of God forever. So it won't be a matter of worshiping God in one particular place because in Christ, God is going to be God of all and Lord of all. And the people of God will worship God all over the place. It will no longer be dependent on where you worship God. What changes now in Jesus is who is this God of our worship? And so again, for us who are followers of Jesus, we say that we are worshiping the God who is revealed ultimately in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Creator God and the God of Israel is revealed as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if for us who are following Jesus, this is the God that we are worshiping, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who we worship. But the next question for us to think through today is, so what kind of worshiper are you going to be? Who are you? Well, you are a worshiper. You can say that today. I am a worshiper. Who do you worship? For Christians, we worship the God revealed in Jesus by the Spirit. But what kind of worshiper are you going to be? Jesus tells us that the kind of worshiper that the Father is looking for are those who will worship in spirit and in truth. What kind of worshiper are you? You're going to be able to say that I am a worshiper in spirit and I am a worshiper in truth. I want us to explore both of those, that spirit and truth go together, but I, I want us to think through that for a little bit, and let's, let's look at them in reverse order. Let's start with the truth part, starting first with saying, I am a worshiper in truth. Let's start there. 
When we worship what is false, we become false. When we worship what is true, and that is we're worshiping in truth, then we become true. You see this in the story of Israel. So Israel was called by God to represent God in the earth. And God was to be their king. God was going to reign as king. But Israel did, just like we do today, Israel was looking around at other nations, other religions, other ways of worship, and they said, well, God, these other nations, they have kings. We want a king. And God said, you don't want a king. I'm supposed to be your king. But God accommodated himself to the wishes of Israel, gave him a king, King David, who became the prototypical picture of a king whose heart is after God. After King David was Solomon, and even though Solomon prayed and asked and received great wisdom, Solomon began to multiply wives, began to worship false idols, and then destroyed David's complete vision of what the kingdom of God through Israel would look like. And after Solomon, Israel went through a split. They went through a civil war and the kingdom was divided. You had the northern kingdom that was called Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. I know it's confusing because ancient Israel is both of them together, but the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And you can read about this divided kingdom, and I can sum it up this way. There were a few good kings, but there was a whole lot of bad kings. And the bad kings of both Israel and Judah were bad because they went after other gods. They began to worship idols. They began to worship in the place of God, that which was supposed to be the God of creation. They were worshiping what is false. And consequences came with that. See, when false idols are worshiped, the end result is always injustice and ultimately judgment. And so the northern kingdom, Israel, fell to the Assyrians. Eventually, Judah, the southern kingdom, would fall to the Babylonians. But the northern kingdom, Israel, fell to the invading Assyrian army. And 2 Kings in the Old Testament has a little bit of insight on why this happened. It says in 2 Kings 17, 15, they, this is Israel who had fallen to the Assyrians, they despised his statutes, that's God's statutes, his covenant that they had made with their ancestors and the warnings that he gave. They went after false idols and became false. They worshipped the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do as they did. They began to worship what is false and they became false. See, you worship in truth, right? And you worship what is true and you become true. That is, you become your true self, but if you go after false gods, if you go after idols and you worship what is false, you become false. Do you, do you see how that works? See, uh, worship again is what we give our, our hearts to, our, uh, the deepest longings, desires, and the love within our hearts. What I, we give our love to. 
what we give out of the core of our being to affects who we are. And so because we were made by the living God, the one true God of creation, if we worship the true God, we become our true selves. We, at the core of our being, become what we are supposed to be. But if we go after that which is false, things that are, pretend to be gods but are false gods, we, at the very core of our being, become false. So we say we are worshipers who worship in truth. Who are you? I am a worshiper in truth. First, that I worship the true God, right, revealed in Jesus, but also we can say that we worship in truth in the sense that we worship from a place of authenticity, right? We worship in truth in the sense that we worship from who we truly and really are. That is, we put authentic intentionality into our worship. So here at Word of Life, we open our service every Sunday morning with these words. We have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. We open with that because we believe we're two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. There is Jesus in the midst of us. So we open with, we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. We have come to this house to worship God. That's why we come on Sunday morning. We come here to worship God in authenticity and not in a showy performance. That's not why, that's not why we're here. One of the reasons that when we're singing songs of worship at the beginning of our service, we lower the lights a little bit is because we're not here to perform for one another. We're here to authentically present ourselves to God. And the worship team that is up here, they are not performers and, and the rest of us back here spectators like we're at a concert. No, Pastor Eric and his worship team up here, they're here to lead us and to guide us into authentic expressions of worship. And you are invited to participate in what we are doing. Pastor Eric is leading us in such a way that we might worship God in the beauty of holiness. What is beauty? I'm not going to define it. Pastor Eric said, you can't define it. That's blasphemy. But there is a mystery to beauty that if we come together with one heart and one desire and one intentionality to seek God first in what we do as worship, we can experience something very beautiful. So we are worshipers in truth and that we worship the true God and we worship in a way that is authentic. It's truly coming from our hearts. Now the second part of what Jesus said, Jesus said that the Father is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. So let's talk about that second part. I am a worshiper in spirit. Jesus, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman, who is confused about worship because it's locked into a form of geography, that is, you have to worship in the right place, Jesus says that God is spirit. God is spiritual. 
And so if we are going to worship God who is spirit, then our experiences of worship is spiritual. God is spirit. This is true. When people ask me the question, is God real? If they can handle it, I always want to give them this answer. And that is, God is reality. Is God real? My response, again, if they can handle it, because it's kind of big, if they can handle it, is God real? God is the very definition of reality. That is, God is the essence of life itself. So God is presence. We talk about the presence of God. God is presence. And so when we worship in spirit, we are making ourselves present to the God who is presence. Worship is spiritual. Now, for Christians, the spiritual is always enfleshed. Christians practice not a purely spiritual religion. Indeed, people can get too spiritual. And they can get kind of weird when they're too spiritual. Because for Christians, spiritual is always enfleshed. And so when we worship in spirit, we are worshiping from a place of our human spirits, enlivened by the Holy Spirit. But that spiritual worship has to have a physical expression. Because worship is what we do. Worship is not just thinking good thoughts about God, even though you should do that. Thinking good thoughts about God is a good thing. God's a good God. Your thoughts about God should all be good. But thinking good thoughts about God is not worship. That's meditation. And meditation is a spiritual practice. It's a Christian practice. It's a part of what we do. But it's not worship. Worship has some kind of enfleshed expression to it. So when we clap our hands, this is flesh on flesh. This is an infleshed expression of a spiritual worship. So we, we do things with our body, like we, we lift our hands. And oh, for some people, you're very self-conscious about lifting your hands in worship. And I totally get that. Have you ever noticed how long my arms are? I have abnormally long arms, and I'm extremely self-conscious about it. i got to buy large, tall shirts. If I buy extra large shirts, they all hit me right here like this. I'm I'm very self-conscious about it. Now, all you're going to do for the next few moments is look at my wild arms moving around. It's true. Come find me after service. I'll hold up my arms. I'll show you. It's monkey arms. So I'm self-conscious too, which is why I'm not on the front row doing this thing here. But I believe that there is a posture of worship. There is an enfleshed experience of worship when I do uh, open my hands. I lift my hands like this as as an expression of worship because I want to open myself to God. So I am a worshiper in spirit, but I realize that that spiritual, all those spiritual acts of worship have to be expressed. And it's, it's expressed by what I do with my body, whether I clap my hands or lift my hands or, or join with the church in singing. 
Singing is a, is a very physical, enfleshed act of worship because we are forcing breath over our vocal cords. Some of us a little bit better than others, right? Which is why we keep the volume at a certain level that we do here so that you're comfortable singing out loud and you're not distracted by sister shrill four pews back. So we keep the volume up, but we do so not that you would be a spectator, but that you would participate as we sing together. So we put the lyrics up on the screen. And so we invite you to participate in all these physical expressions of worship. And the highest, the most sacred form of worship for Christians is when we come to the table, Holy Communion. This for us is our highest act of worshiping in spirit and in truth. For it is in the communion elements that God makes himself very present to us. And so we come to the table to worship. Worship is not just singing songs, even though it's not less than that, it includes that. At the heart of worship is when we are giving all of our heart desire over to Jesus and there's no more sacred moment in our time of worship to do that than when we come to the communion table. So we're gonna prepare ourselves now to do that. In just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand, not yet, in just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand up and we're going to pray a prayer together and then I'm gonna invite you to the table and there will be ushers that will dismiss your row to come down to the front. And down in the front, there will be someone holding a basket of bread and they will say, the body of Christ broken for you. This is when we worship God in truth. When you hear those words, the body of Christ broken for you, it's true. Believe that. Jesus' body was broken. And through communion, you can connect with that brokenness, not to increase your own brokenness, because Jesus gave his broken body for our healing, both body and souls. So you'll hear someone say, the body of Christ broken for you. That's when we worship God in truth. Grab a piece of bread. And then someone will be holding a cup. And they will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And this is our moment to worship God in spirit. Because it is the Holy Spirit that takes the blood of Jesus to wipe and cleanse your heart clean. We all come to the table the same way, acknowledging that there is one Lord, there is one King, there is one Savior, and that's Jesus. And the rest of us are all on this journey of brokenness, trying to become more like Jesus, but we all recognize that we all need Jesus. And so everyone is invited to be a worshiper today and to come to the table. So let me invite you to stand up with me as we prepare ourselves to that. As we prepare ourselves to come to the table. As we prepare ourselves to grow in the grace of God by worshiping in spirit and in truth. And again, everyone is invited. You don't have to be a member of our church or any church to come and participate in communion today. Church, this is our moment. This is our opportunity 
to express our full hearts and devotion to Jesus and connect with Jesus. So we're going to put the words of this prayer. This is our prayer of confession. We'll put the words up on the screen. And I invite you and encourage you to pray this as a worshiper in spirit. Pray it from your heart. Let's offer this prayer to God together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now this is the table. Not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who want him and for those who want him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. It is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here.